0: If you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. This is the Advent season, as I've already mentioned. And so what we're going to do from now to Christmas is we are going to study the first two chapters of the New Testament. Matthew 1 and 2, we're going to be there today, be there next Sunday, the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. So if you can be committed, and if you all can try to have perfect attendance throughout December, which I really, really hope you will, and be here all four Sundays, you are going to learn a lot, understand a lot, you'll understand Christmas from the Scriptures as we're going to walk through all of Matthew 1 and 2 over the next four Sundays, we're starting off today where the New Testament starts off, with the genealogy of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you hadn't read in the bulletin that that's what I was preaching on today and seen the text, when Josh Womble came up and read the genealogy from Luke, I know many of you all were thinking, what is that? What is he reading? This is so boring. What is this? And I know that when you get a list of names, You start thinking, this is boring. I don't know who these people are. I don't understand this. Why are we doing this? It feels like you're at a graduation, doesn't it? You ever been to graduation before? You get to hear a couple of cool speeches. You get to see, you know, a few cool songs sang. You get to see uh, some awards given out. And then it gets to the part where you are just going to hand out the certificates, right? And that's when you usually pull out your phone or pull out a book and you just sit there, like, let's hurry up. And some of these schools in Louisville have 400, 500 graduates in their senior class. It takes a half hour for them to walk through all of those. You just sit there and you're thinking, I don't. I don't know who these people are. I'm just gonna tune it out. And they go have name after name after name. Some of these classes are so big that they can't even have one person read off all the names. They have to give the reader a break and somebody else has to step up there and start reading names because there's so many. And there's a tendency to think, man, this is boring, right? I know you've probably thought before graduations are boring. But you know what? For each and every one of those individuals, it's not boring. For that individual that walks across that stage, this they're thinking, man, it's the biggest thing I've ever done in my life up until this point. For their families that are in the crowd, they're thinking, man, we're proud of them. And you and I ought to know enough to understand that a list of names, while it may indeed be boring or seem to be not very important, is very important. When you take into account who wrote this book You ought to understand this list is very important. God is the author of this book we're all looking at here, the Bible, and God wrote this list out. God has a very strong purpose in why there are genealogies. He wants us to understand a couple things about Jesus, that his son, God's son Jesus, comes from a family. This genealogy here is the family of Jesus. I'm not so sure how you feel about your family. I'm not sure if you enjoyed Thanksgiving or not, or if you even spent time with family, if you, if you were alone on Thanksgiving, I, I don't know. But I want you to know that you have a big family tree. And if time would allow you to, you could do some research and you could see all sorts of people going back for a long time. Now, I've never done that. I, I honestly don't even know the names of anybody past my, my grandparents. I don't even know the names of my great grandparents, to be totally honest. That's how my family's been. I know my grandparents, and I love them. Three have passed away. I've got one remaining, but we're all from a big family. And while we may act like, "Oh, it's just family," me, I don't know them. You would never say that to them. And if you focused on each and every one, everyone has a story. And that's why when you finally get into seeing some history or something, you think, "Wow, man, that's that's neat." The Bible wants us to understand this about Jesus. He's from a family. He's from a family that goes way back, and his family's like our families. It's full of all types of turns and events and drama and ugliness and cool stories and exciting stories. There's the genealogy of Jesus here at Matthew chapter 1. It starts with Abraham and takes us all the way to Jesus. Starts with Abraham. You know, Abraham was not the beginning of time, but it's pretty early, and it goes all the way to Jesus. Then there's that one in Luke, all right, which Josh Womble read that goes from uh, Jesus all the way back to Adam, all right? Yes, we believe that God created Adam. There were no human beings ever before Adam. Adam was the first human being God ever made. He was alone, and it was not good for him to be alone, so God created him a woman to be his wife. God made them married, and from those two people... Every human being ever came from Adam and Eve. And so in Luke's genealogy, we have it traced back from Jesus all the way to Adam. We're not looking at Luke's, though, today. We're looking at Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And there's a lot here. Uh, Matthew says, if you look at verse 17... Matthew says, so all the generations from Adam to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, there were many more than 14 generations in there, but for some reason, the way Matthew wrote it, he put it this way, he put a little stylistic twist on it so that it fits. Matthew does a lot with numbers in his gospel, and he does that there. You got 14, and you got 14, and you got 14. But oftentimes in generations, they will skip a few generations and try to hit the high points, and that's obviously what Matthew has done here. There are some people that are skipped that we know about as we read the Old Testament. But that's the way he did it. We start with Abraham, and we go all the way to Jesus. Today... I want to read it here at the beginning. I want you to see all of these names. I want you to think, wow, that's boring. And I want God to challenge you to say, yes, it's boring to me, but those are people and every person has a story. I may think some of you all are exciting and I may think some of you all are boring, but you don't like that because we all are an individual and we all matter. So read with me, if you will, the genealogy of Jesus to begin the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiod, and Abiod the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Acham, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar. The father of Mathan. Now listen very closely. I don't want to read this twice. And Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Our Lord Jesus was born of a human. He had a mom who comes from a big long family tree today this morning i want to give us three observations from jesus's family tree it's advent and advent means the coming of jesus we believe in the first advent where jesus came born of a virgin at christmas time some two thousand years ago he came from heaven to us took on flesh and became a man before jesus was born of the virgin mary jesus had not been a man Jesus is the Son of God and He is eternal, but He had not been a human. He had not been a human. But at the incarnation, when Jesus came from heaven, God made Mary pregnant. She did not have a husband at the time. She did not have a man. She was uh, betrothed to get married. She had never been with a man. She was in every sense of the word a pure virgin. God made her pregnant. And Jesus Christ, God's son, was born of a virgin. The Bible teaches us this. It's important for us to understand that too. Jesus came to us. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to us so that he could save us, so that he could redeem us. That's what all of everything is all about, that you and I would know and believe and trust in Jesus, that we need a savior, that the problem of my, of my life, the problem of, 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 of my world, and the problem of the world, and the problem of all problems is that we do not know and love God. We do not trust God. And the way that is resolved and fixed and healed is through Jesus. Jesus came to us to die as a sacrifice in our place and anybody that comes to God through Christ seeking the forgiveness of sins will become a child of God. They will be in the family of God. That is the answer to all problems. The second advent, the second coming, will be when Jesus comes back from heaven to end it all. This earth will not go on forever. One day, Jesus is coming back to end it all. And when he does, he will separate those who believe in him and those who don't. He will separate, as the Bible calls it, the sheep from the goats, those who are looking for forgiveness and looking for a Savior, who are ready for heaven. God will separate those and take those to heaven. And those who aren't, he will judge and they will go to hell because they have not sought the Lord for forgiveness. That's the second advent. During Christmas, we celebrate the first Advent. And the Advent today, as we've lit this this first candle, is about hope. Jesus coming to us gives us hope. There is nobody anywhere in any position who should be without hope. No matter how bad it is here, and it may not get any better, no matter how bad it is here, you can have the hope of eternal life. With God as your Father, in his love, safe in his love, forever in heaven. What a comfort that is. What hope that gives. So in Jesus coming to us in the first advent, we have this long genealogy. And so I want to give you three observations. The first is that Jesus came for people. People, people, people people and i want us truly i want us truly to have an understanding that the people matter that's why i began this message today the way i did that it may be boring to some of us you may have thought that was too much to read but just like at a graduation these individuals matter you may be thinking i don't know anything about perez i don't know anything about jehoshaphat i don't know anything about hezekiah you may be picking out these names saying i've never heard of these guys what do they matter to me But if you were to begin studying them, if you want to flip back into the Old Testament and read about them, you would be drawn in. You would be thinking, wow, what a story. I'd never heard of that before. Never heard of that guy, but that's fascinating. People matter. And I know that when you're busy like we are, there's often times where you think people don't matter. And so so often we'll get so focused on accomplishing a task that we'll breeze right past people. We'll be colder than we would like to be, but people do matter. And the genealogy shows us this. The Bible doesn't begin, it could have, but the New Testament doesn't begin by just saying, it just so happened at one time, Jesus was born. It doesn't say that. In a long book, and the Bible is a long book, in a long book, God designed it where the New Testament begins with a list of all of these names. If you've ever been taught how to be a good writer, or if you've ever been taught how to be a good speaker, here's what they say. Your opening paragraph needs to be a grabber, man. needs to get their attention. If you're going to be a speaker, you need to know how to draw them in with that opening illustration, right? You're always taught that. God's always been unconventional. You know how he begins the New Testament? The big, long, boring 17-verse genealogy of a whole bunch of names that you can't pronounce. He begins it with a list that most everybody just says, I'm just going to skip over that. God doesn't begin things the way you would be coached to begin things. God demands attention. God wants us to slow down and say, who are these people? What's the meaning of these people? Why does this matter? If you start getting into it, you will see some really cool stories. One commentator says, some of the names we read in this catalog remind us of shameful and sad histories. Some of the names we read here remind us of some of our favorite stories. Some of the names that we read here are of those persons never even mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. But at the end of all comes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you start thinking about people, y'all, you have to get yourself to realize every person matters. I hope you know that. I hope you know that. I don't know most of your grandmothers, but don't they mean a lot to you? I don't know most of your parents, but don't they mean a lot to you? I don't know most of your children, but don't they mean a lot to you? And that is the very point that God wants us to see that people matter. See, Jesus always understood this. When people try to write these books on, Jesus was just so effective. He was so good. He was a leader. And when somebody tries to write a book on time management and priorities and all that, they're always puzzled by Jesus. Because surely Jesus wasn't lazy and surely Jesus didn't waste time. And surely Jesus was effective, right, and productive, right? He was, man, he was good at those things. But Jesus was like unbelievably available. And he always had time for people, there's scene after scene after scene in our Bible where you think Jesus got some really important things to do and he has time for people. The Bible tells us he would be on his way and sit down and talk to children. He'd be on his way and sit down and talk to thieves. He'd be on his way and sit down and talk to prostitutes and you'd be thinking, what? That's what he was like though. Jesus had this Unbelievable care, concern, understanding for people. Oh, if we want to be like Jesus, we would care about people. We would think people matter. All people matter. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus, entering into the city, says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has a heart for people because he sees people in a way that God wants us to see people. He sees people as being somebody that needs God, that needs love, needs a Savior, needs a God in their life, needs Jesus, and that is every single person. There's never a time or a place, there's never an individual that you and I should not be thinking: do they know God? How can I help them know God? What do they understand about God through me? people, people, people. When you start to read Matthew chapter one and the genealogy, we cannot race through it. We are to be thinking, these are people. It's somebody's parents. It's somebody's grandparents. It's somebody's kids. Genealogies are almost always patriarchal. They are. You study genealogies all over the place. It's son of, son of, son of. It just names the dad. It names the dad. It names the dad. You see that really strong in Luke's genealogy. You see it in all the genealogies that are in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. But Matthew does something that we don't hear enough. Matthew, in this genealogy right here in these 17 verses, perhaps you didn't pick up on this. Matthew names five women. Matthew's genealogy, which should have been possibly all men, right, has five women in it. God is wanting us to see the importance of women, the significance of women, and God is wanting us to recognize that we are not to take Christianity and move it in the direction of men being more important than women in Christianity. For he lists five here. Let's look at them. The first one mentioned is Tamar in verse 3. And I said some of the lists make you think it's boring. If you don't know the story of Tamar, you need to buckle up. Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute because she wanted her father-in-law, Judah, to get pregnant by her. That's the story. You can read it. It's pretty vulgar. It's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty R-rated. It's not one you probably want to read with the kids tonight, but that's the story of Tamar. God is showing us right? from the beginning that when you start talking about people, it's complicated. And it is. The second in verse 5 is Rahab. Y'all know Rahab. Rahab was another prostitute. Imagine that. we got two women so far. Both are prostitutes on some level. Rahab was a prostitute. But she was of the faithful. She hid the spies. She believed in God. She was not a Jew. Here in the genealogy of Jesus, you've got Rahab, who's not a Jew. She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. And she believed in God, and she protected the spies. If you go back and read the Old Testament, what a story. Rahab is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 of those who are of faith. What an amazing story. There is one way that you could describe Rahab as being a sinner. There's no way she's connected to God. And there is a ton of evidence to say, oh, Rahab is so admirable. She believed God. And folks, if you don't know enough about people yet, be reminded here today, that's every single one of our testimonies. You could talk about Josh Green in some ways and describe me as being such a mess. You could talk about all my flaws and all my issues and all my sins. And you could. You could, paint, you could make me out to be such a bad guy and you wouldn't be wrong. But I hope you also know that I believe in Jesus Christ for the only way to get right with God and for the forgiveness of sins. And that's my testimony. You see this with Rahab. The third lady mentioned almost right after that in verse five is Ruth, what a story. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth not only was not a Jew, she was a Gentile, but she was a Moabite. She was from a group of people that did not like God's people, they worshiped other gods, they were opposed to God's people and that's who Ruth was. Ruth in every way is set up to have nothing to do with God and the genealogy of Jesus. But when you're a Gentile and you have nothing to do with God, if you will turn and repent and trust in God and his promises, you can be into the family of God. You don't get in the family of God through a bloodline. Does everybody know that? You do not get in the family of God through a bloodline. In the old covenant, that's the way it was. But that's not the way it is in God's saving plan through the new covenant. You get in the family of God by the new birth where God gives you a new heart by the power of the Spirit. And anybody can enter into the family of God. It doesn't matter what people you are, what person you are, what place you are. does not matter at all. If you will turn from your sins and you will trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of your soul, you can enter into the family of God. And you see that so clearly with Ruth. She turned and embraced She turned and embraced the true and living God. What a story it is with Ruth. I also want to mention, y'all, that not only is Ruth a fascinating story, but her name is the name of one of the books of the Bible. This sweet lady, Ruth, who was a Moabite, who turned to know the true and living God, Ruth is now a name of one of the books of the Bible. What a fascinating picture of the grace of God and and the significance of women. Jump down to verse six. Here's the fourth one. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's the fourth one named, but it doesn't even name her. You know who the wife of Uriah was? Bathsheba. She was out sunbathing one day. David sees her, has no self-control, Goes to be with her. Gets her pregnant. Knows that this is very, very shameful. So he has her husband killed. Tries to marry her real quick and hope that that will make everything okay. Doesn't work. David's life is full of sin and shame. And yet we know David to be. Listen, yet we know David to be. Man of God. Man after God's own heart. It's David's testimony that you could talk about all of his sins and his flaws, but it's also his testimony that he trusted in God for the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't say Bathsheba there, but it does say the wife of Uriah. And then the fifth lady mentioned all the way down at verse 16 is Mary. We don't have too much dirt on Mary. We know that Mary was a a sinner because she said that she was unworthy. She knew that as all people are sinners. But we do know that even Mary's life was full of complication. She was a single lady that was pregnant, right? There would have been all the shame, even as her uh, betrothed Joseph knew that she was pregnant and it wasn't from him and that's a mess. But God chose to use that God chose to use these people. God chose to use these women in the history, in the story, in the genealogy to show us that people matter. But secondly, it also shows us that Jesus came for people with problems. Number one, Jesus came for people. Number two, Jesus came for people with problems. We are not to think that church or God is for people who don't have problems. We are to understand that genealogy teaches us that God is for people with problems. As a matter of fact, in order for you to become a Christian, a child of God, you have to admit that you have problems that you can't fix. You have to admit that you have flaws that you can't overcome. And if you are here today, and I know it's Christmas and we all need to be sweet and lovey-dovey. If you are here today and your heart is so prideful, That you still don't apologize. You still don't admit your wrongs. You haven't said to God, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, I've sinned against you. God, here's how I sinned against you. If you do not do that, listen to me, then you have yet to admit your problems before God and you are not forgiven of your sins. God does not forgive us of our sins until we repent of our sins. Until we acknowledge to God, and I always do this where I, where I show a turnaround because that's what repentance means. Until we acknowledge to God that our sins have separated us from him, and we turn to God and we say, God, I'm not coming with the answers, I'm not coming with the deeds, I'm not coming with the goodness or the righteousness, God. I'm coming with the baggage, I'm coming with the drama, I'm coming with the problems. And until you admit to God that those are you, who you are, that is your identity, God does not receive you. God receives people who want God to get all the glory. And if you're still trying to get some of the glory for how good you are how good you're raised or how successful you are or how wise you are and smart you are, then God's not getting the glory. God gets the glory when you turn and say, God, I'm bringing all my problems to you, and I believe you're big enough to handle them. Jesus came for people with problems. One of the hardest parts about studying the Bible, the way God has revealed it to us, is that it does not paint a picture of everything being all nice and pretty. This is a lesson for the church. Church should never be a picture to the world of everything all nice and pretty. Yeah, the honest truth about us is that we need God. We need God. And if we're still representing to those around us, you got some family members that didn't come to church today, I wonder why, What, what do they think? What do they think about us? Do you tell them that you can't go to church unless you're dressed a certain way? Do you tell them you can't go to church if you've been acting bad? Do you tell them you can't go to church if you talk that way or if people knew you talked that way or if people knew how bad y'all were fighting just in the car before you walked in here? Listen, folks, we know. We know you're that way. You know how I know you're that way? Because I'm that way too. My family's that way. We all have problems, and we need a Savior. You have to be honest about that. You have to admit that. Stop putting on a show. Stop trying to act like you've got it all together, and that's why you go to church. That's not why you go to church. That's the biggest thorn in my side. That's the biggest burden to us pastors is when you guys act like you've got it all together. I love to pastor people who say, I'm such a mess. we got all kinds of issues here, but Christ is my answer. That is Christianity. And when you truly trust God with all your sins and your problems... He will empower you to walk in obedience and you'll start to see some less problems. He's not gonna make everything better. He's gonna empower you to walk in obedience. But if you're not gonna give him your problems, he's not gonna empower you to walk in obedience and so you got this life full of problems that God's not helping you with because you're not admitting that you have problems. You're gonna try to do it all by yourself. That ain't right. It's so beautiful when Christians confess their sins. It's so beautiful when Christians say, man, I I should not have said that. I was so wrong and so ugly. I know that offended you. I know it wasn't right. It's so beautiful when a dad wants to say, "Hey guys, I know we're real busy, and I I know the ball game's on, but can we take just a couple minutes commercial break? We just need to gather ourselves up. I need y'all to hear from me. I've been out of character today. This isn't what a dad's supposed to be like. This isn't what a marriage's supposed to be like. We got to be able to admit our sins and our problems." And if we're not gonna do that, then we're not really gonna have Jesus as a savior. If you're gonna have Jesus as a guide, that's good. You can have him as a guide, but the Bible says he doesn't guide people unless they're trusting in him as Lord and savior. He doesn't guide people that don't believe him. So you're acting like he's your guide, you're doing half the good, but he's not really guiding you, he doesn't do that. He will never, ever, ever, ever play second fiddle to you. He's not gonna help you half the time while you handle it the other half the time, no. And if that's what Christianity is to you, then it's wrong not right we have to come to him with our problems listen to what J.C. Ryle says in this genealogy observe how many godly parents in this catalog had wicked and ungodly sons the names of Reboam and Joram and Amon and Jeconiah should teach us humbling lessons they had all pious fathers but they were all wicked men grace does not run in families It needs something more than good examples and good advice to make us children of God. They that are born again are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Praying parents should pray night and day that their children may be born of the Spirit. We have to admit that we have problems. And when you start to see a genealogy like this, you just have to admit this can be ugly at times. Guess what, y'all? The family of Jesus has embarrassing stories in it. The family of Jesus has shameful time periods in it. So stop acting like you only want to be about your family if it's all good and presentable. Stop putting on that fake in that show. Be able to humble yourself and say, we've got some flaws. There's some things we're not proud about, but we're giving it over to God. We're going to trust him with it, and he says he will receive us. That's what the genealogy shows. Jesus came for people. Jesus came for people with problems. And thirdly, lastly, Jesus came as the fulfillment to all of God's promises. And Jesus being the fulfillment to all of God's promises means that he is the answer to all of our problems. What we have done to mess our lives up and to separate ourselves from God, the sin that we do that, that, that messes up our hearts before a pure and a holy God... Jesus has overcome by dying on the cross in our place so as to fulfill the answer that God wanted a people. The Bible says from the very beginning that God wanted to create a people that would love him and worship him. That's really the whole simple point of the Bible. God wanted a people that would love him and worship him. Does everybody hear me? If somebody asks, why did God create? So that he would have a people that would love and worship him. Why, why is the Bible so long and history so long so that God would have a people that love him and worship him? Why is it so big and spread out and so, so much diversity and people of every color and every eye color and every skin color? Why are there so many different languages and so many different cultures and all that? So that God would have a people that love him and worship him. That's why God did it all. But what we know about humanity is from the very, very beginning, we have rebelled against that. We have sinned against God. We have rejected God. Our experience is a whole beautiful history of people who have sinned and rejected God. And the Bible is a whole big story of people who have sinned against God and rejected God. That is the world we live in. Keep trying to push against it all that you want to, but it is undeniable that the world is a fallen and sinful world. Things are not as they should be. That's because we have rejected God, some ways really big and adamantly, some some ways a little bit more secretively and kind of try to act like it's not that big of a deal, but nonetheless, uh, rebellion against God. And so, God has a solution to that, that he would send his son Jesus down the cross, and through people coming to Christ... They could be forgiven of their sins and then welcomed into the family God, and God is both just that he's okay with accepting sinners because he punished the sin in Jesus, and God is the justifier. He's okay accepting those sinners because it has been dealt with. God is just and the justifier. It's okay for him to do that because he did deal with the sin. It's okay for us to have us messed up people in his family because he's already punished our sins in Christ on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, God was punishing the sins of the world. If you believe that, your sins are forgiven. If you don't believe that, your sins aren't forgiven and he will punish you later. That's what the Bible wants us to know. And everybody that believes. I mean, that's why the performance thing, which you heard me pray at the beginning when I was talking about hope, the performance thing is so important. He does not accept you on performance. He doesn't. He does not accept you off of how well you do in life. He doesn't, not at all. He accepts you off of Jesus and all that Jesus has done if you believe that. If you fully trust in Christ and what he's done, you're accepted into God's family. If you don't fully trust in Christ, no matter how good you are, how bad you are, you will not be received from God. This is why all of the focus is on Jesus. This is why true church and true Christianity is all about Jesus. What the genealogy shows us with all of these people and all of these problems is that Jesus came as the fulfillment to all of God's promises. Notice that this genealogy comes like what? Like three quarters of the way through the Bible, right? It's not there at midway. It's not how the Bible begins. We've got all of this right here from Genesis to Malachi, the whole Old Testament of stories and helping us understand what God is like and what people is like and how messed up and complicated that is. And then we get to the genealogy. And Matthew wants us to see every time you think, well, what's all that history about? And what's all those families about? And what are all those people about? What are all those stories about? And all that drama about. Anytime you're thinking, well, what's all this mean? Matthew's saying, Jesus is the answer to it. He's the fulfillment. He's the king. He's the deliverer. He's the answer to the promises. It doesn't matter if you're suffering alone at home right now. It doesn't matter if you're in jail. It doesn't matter if you're caught up in abuse right now. It doesn't matter if you have been so self-seeking and foolish that you seem miserable right now because you've been trying to do everything you can make. It doesn't matter what scenario you're in. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you will do an about face and you will turn your back on your ways and trust in Christ, He will receive you. And the genealogy is saying, yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Look at that person. Look at that story. Look at that person. Look at that story. Look at that person. And it's all messed up. And it leaves you going, man, what is the purpose of this life? Why is it so jacked up? Why do we keep hearing story after story that is so messed up? Because God wants people to love and worship him. The only way that will happen is when Jesus changes your heart. That's why I beg and preach each week for you to believe, for you to turn and believe that. So let me give you a few examples real quick and we'll be done. Genesis chapter 3 says that Eve would have an offspring that would crush the devil, that would crush the serpent. Jesus is that. The Bible says that when he died on the cross, Satan was defeated. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the grave, Satan was defeated. Isaiah chapter 42 says that there would be a righteous servant of the Lord coming, that God would send one who he would see as the righteous servant, the suffering servant. Isaiah describes that one. Deuteronomy 18 says that Moses is the greatest prophet there's ever been, and yet there is one coming after Moses that would be greater than Moses. And everybody in the history of the world has been thinking, who is that greater Moses? Who is that prophet that is just out of this world? It's Jesus, the Bible says. The Bible talks about a priest, and it tells us there's a priest coming after the order of Melchizedek that would be the ultimate priest. Bible says in Psalm 110 that that's Jesus. Jesus is the priest that connects us to God. And then perhaps the biggest one of all in the Bible, the Bible says that God is a king. And there's that beautiful scene where God says to his people, you don't need a king, I'm your king. And the people in all their arrogance and pride answer back to God, and they say, God, we don't want you as our king, we want a real king. We want a king here on earth that's got legs and arms and and, and a king that we can see and a king that we can talk to and a king that can actually walk into battle with us. We don't want to believe that you'll win our battles. We want you to go. We want a king that will go with us and fight our battles. That's exactly what it means to be worldly and trying to believe. It doesn't work. Half-hearted belief doesn't work. You can't have a leg in the world and a a leg in faith. You can't. That's what they tried to do. God said, Give them what they want. Give them a king. And Samuel said, no, we're not going to give them a king, God. You're the best king for us, and I know that. God said, give them what they want. And God gave them a king. And you see a history of Israel suffering and suffering under bad leadership of kings that half the time did not honor God. And then comes King David, who we know to be a man after God's own heart. And he was a good king, and he led God's people well, but he died. And one of the tough, listen to me, one of the toughest things about good leadership is you have to ask the question, what are we gonna do once they're gone? Athletic programs ask that. I was up at Faraday High School just the other day and I sat down with Lloyd Gardner who runs the King of the Bluegrass. He started it. I said, Lloyd, who's gonna take over the King of the Bluegrass once you're done? What's it gonna be like? One of the hard things about a family that gets together and has a great time together and they, they sit around and eat a big meal together is you say, hey, what are we gonna do once the grandparents die? They're the ones that held this together. You remember how many funerals I've been to where I've seen people cry their owls out and they say, this woman right here was the glue. And Now that she's gone, ain't nobody gonna keep us together. You know how many families used to get together for meals and used to get together to pray and used to do a lot of things but the glue's now gone? It is so hard to replace leadership unless you do it the right way and you're looking forward to it the whole time. And King David died, and guess what happened? The leadership of Israel through the king went downhill. And David's son became worldly, and he got caught up in money and wisdom and women, and it just tanked him. God allowed the enemies to come and take him over, and they went into captivity, exile. It was awful. You know why? Because God is their king. They should have believed that God is their king. The Bible says that Jesus is the king on the throne forever. He is like David, yet he reigns forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God's word has pointed us to. Jesus is the answer to every painful experience you've ever had. It's not a complicated science project. It's not a difficult math equation. It's not, man, my life's so much. My life is so messed up. How am I ever gonna figure it out? It's not that. It's turn to Jesus. The genealogy shows us that Jesus came for people. The genealogy shows us that Jesus came for people with problems, and the genealogy shows us that Jesus came as the fulfillment to all of God's promises. And all of God's promises are pointing us to the answer to all of our problems. Jesus is that. If you're here today and you don't think you're in the family of God, you need to get there. You ever been invited to a get together, party, Thanksgiving, family, Christmas, or whatever? And you thought to yourself, I just don't want to go. I know what it's going to be like. They're going to talk about this. They're going to bring up politics. You wouldn't believe some of the questions I had to deal with this week. I got asked about all kinds of stuff. I got asked about the Beth Moore controversy with John MacArthur. I got asked about Trump. I got asked about all these different things. got asked about Kanye West. You ever been to one of those family get togethers or been invited to a party, a group of people, maybe a work party or whatever? And you just thought, I, I don't want to go. I just don't want to be there. Do not, do not let that be your heart with God and His people. Do not turn yourself toward God. Repent of your sins. Be honest. Don't neglect this. Today is December the 1st. What a miracle it is that today falls on a Sunday so that every single one of us can begin the Advent season. Today is the first day of Advent, and you've got 24 days now in December to focus on the coming of Christ. Do not allow yourself to say, I'm not gonna be about Jesus. We need to focus on Christ our Savior. He came to save us. Let's believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the genealogy. Thank you for your love for people, your love for problematic people. Thank you for all your promises. Thank you, God, that there's such a thing as forgiveness of sins and a cleansed conscience. Father, we pray that we would be honest here the first day of December the beginning of Advent of who we are and we need you. Oh God, don't let us be the people that say, I don't want to be about Jesus. I don't want to be about God. May we get centered on you. Father, move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.